bless you all this evening. Amen. We trust you've come expecting. Amen. Ready to worship. Amen. We'll worship our one and true King. Amen. Let's just sing the song. We fall down, we lay our crowns. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Oh, the greatness of His mercy and love at the
done for us. Oh God, that we can stand here and sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Oh, there's no name like the name of Jesus that we can raise it up, shout it out. Hallelujah, Lord. We praise your name, oh Jesus. Hallelujah. Just as we go to prayer, 
Brother Jeff Woolman, could I have you open up the service in a word of prayer? Brother, Brother Eddie Lamb has written a prayer request to remember his nephew. He fell and fractured his skull. He's currently in the hospital in Seattle awaiting further tests. And we bring that before the Lord. Just as we go to prayer, can we sing, We Fold Down, We Lay Our Crowns at the Feet of Jesus? We fall down, we lay our crown at the feet of Jesus, the greatness of His mercy and love at the feet of Jesus, and we cry, to you father for you have the words of eternal life oh god and you have imparted that eternal life unto us and that is why we can sing holy holy tonight oh father worthy is the lamb that was slain oh god from before the foundation of the world and we're coming here tonight rejoicing in thy goodness and in your grace and in your faithfulness oh father that we can lay all of our burdens down at thy feet oh father because you care for us and you promise to bear our burdens, Lord Jesus, and we just lay them all at thy feet, O Father, tonight, whatever it may be, from oldest to the youngest, O Father, we just come in great expectation once again tonight into thy courts, into thy presence, O Father, lifting up holy hands and worshiping you, O God, as your children, sons and daughters of God, bought with your precious blood, O Father. We come as you are redeemed, Lord, asking anything in your name, believing we shall receive it, O Father. We ask for the knee that was written in with the one that hurt his head, we pray, O Father. All things are possible to them that believe, O Father. And we believe, O God, that you can move on the scene on the behalf of that situation, Lord Jesus Christ, our healer, O Father. You've purchased it for us, O God. We thank you for this opportunity tonight, O God, that we can come and be refreshed in your presence, O Father. As your word goes forth, may our hearts, Lord Jesus, be open to receive that which the Spirit has to say to the church tonight. We commit all of our lives to you, every need and care into your hands. For your glory, in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. special for us so as he comes we have a few announcements to make uh, this Saturday um, there'll be some camp cleaning for those that have done camp cleaning in the past amen uh, we thank you for your help and uh, that will be at 11 o'clock but you can show up earlier if you want to and get done and get out of there earlier um, that 
is planned to start at 11 o'clock on Saturday, this Saturday. And um, this Friday evening, um, there's an event at the school for the family and the children, and there's more um, details at the bulletin board uh, for you guys there. Amen. When I walked through the door, I sensed His presence, and I knew this was a place where love For this is a temple, Jehovah God abides and we are standing in His presence on holy ground.
for we are standing in his presence on holy ground there is none like you no I can search for all eternity, Lord, and find there is none like you. Oh, there is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. can search for all eternity, Lord, and find there is none like you. We are standing on holy ground. Oh, and Can we sing in the presence of Jehovah? Can we start with the first verse? In and out of situations That tug of war at me Questions become clear, and for a sacred moment, no doubt can interfere. 
Let's sing that chorus again. How many believe what you just said? The troubles vanish and hearts can be mended in His presence. This is where we have the answer to all our needs. This is where we lay off the pressure. This is where God meets us. Amen. How many ever need tonight? You just keep playing that song by the rain and let's just go to Him in prayer tonight. I wonder if you can just look up to Him tonight. In your own way, in your heart, whatever need that you have, maybe just focus on that request and that need in your heart and say, Lord, I realize that I am in the presence of Jehovah tonight. I'm in the presence of the King, and I realize that there is nothing that I'm going through right now that you're not aware of. There is nothing in my heart, even as the brothers were talking about on Monday at a prayer meeting, that we have unspoken needs and unspoken requests. There are things that are so personal and so precious and so dear to our hearts, but He knows all about it. And the Word of God can come and meet that very need tonight in the intimacy of His Word. He can speak one word that your neighbor knows nothing about, but you know that God spoke to you. He's that type of a personal God tonight. Let's go to Him in prayer now tonight. Heavenly Father, we come to You as Your people, Lord. It is written in Your Word, a man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, Lord. Lord, our soul hangs upon every single word tonight, Father. One word from You can be the difference tonight, Lord. One word from You, oh God, can turn situations around, Father. Where there's a marriage on the verge of breaking down. But one word from you can restore harmony, Lord. Where there's a light that's about to go astray. One word from you, oh God, can change the situation, Father. Lord, when there's doubts being sowed by the enemy. One word from you, oh God, can sow faith, oh God, into the hearts. To possess our inheritance tonight. Whatever we have need of, Father, the answer is in thy word. So we've come tonight, Father, asking, Lord, that you take the word of God. Break, break the bread tonight, Father. Feed our hungry souls, oh Jesus. We cannot be sustained by the thoughts of a man. We cannot be sustained by songs or emotions, Lord. But we can be sustained by the words of God. Words of God ever true. Changing me and they're changing you. We have come with open hearts tonight, as the song says. Let the word of God impart. Laugh to our hearts tonight, we pray. In your divine presence, may you have the preeminence, Father. Take both speaker and hear, Lord God, into your hands. For the glory of God. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to the word tonight. We'll turn into the book of Luke. Luke chapter 15. It's a very familiar scripture. Luke 15, we will be starting from verse 11.
Bible says, and he said, speaking of Jesus, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk of the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am not worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've read your precious word, Lord, that have been penned down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it requires the same inspiration, Lord, to make it come alive tonight and to minister to the hearts of your people, Lord. We're depending on you, Father, myself and the people, Lord. We cannot do anything of our own strength and our own ability, Lord, but we are relying tonight on your ability, Father. Have our own way, we pray once more in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. First, I'd like to bring your greetings uh, from uh, Brother Simon Peter Sesse, who's a pastor in uh, New York, just outside of New York City. I was there for, for a weekend for work, and then I had some time to fellowship with them and speak to the people over there. And it was just a, a wonderful group of believers. I had no idea there was such a group outside of New York. It was just, just such a wonderful, wonderful time that I will forever cherish. Uh, himself, Brother Peter Simon, he has such a wonderful spirit. He's a, an amazing man of God. I, I'm sure that you will love if you were ever to meet him. I, I spoke there on, on a subject I spoke here on, on the mechanics of mercy, and I took part two there, and I thought that I'll come back here and take part two as well. But it seems like the law, the law wasn't going that direction, and seeing that it's camp coming up next week, so maybe tonight it's going to be a little exhortation as we, as we prepare for camp. Is that okay? Again, once more, you know, there's nothing new, nothing that you haven't heard yet, but perhaps you can just look into some of these things here that the Lord has put on my heart, and I pray that God can just take the bread and break it and multiply it tonight. I would like to turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 16, as we enter into the subject here. It's just one verse. It says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man Presseth into it. And now, these two scriptures that we read may maybe seem a little bit unrelated, but maybe we can connect them as time goes on. There, there is a pressing into the kingdom of God. It's not just something that you stumble into 
It's not something that you carelessly and casually walk into. There is a pressing. It says that since the kingdom, people were looking for the kingdom of God, and Jesus came and says the kingdom of God is, is amongst you. And when people realized that the kingdom of God was within reach, now people could press into it. It's like realizing that what you were looking for your entire life, there was no way of accessing it. But then all of a sudden, it's within reach. It, it was so far away from you that you could never even get any close to it. But now it's within reach. And then the closeness of the kingdom of God requires a pressing into it. Because only those that are truly looking for it can really press into it once it's within reach. So that's what the scripture is saying here, that since John, so now the kingdom of God, every man that enters into the kingdom of God. Is that what the Bible says? Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. It doesn't say some press into it. It doesn't say that those who want to, it says every man that's ever entered into the kingdom of God, entered the kingdom as a result of pressing into it. There's no exception. Like, there's no other way to enter in the kingdom without pressing. It's like the parable of the marriage supper. You have to come through the door and have the robe. There's a way, there's an appointed way, uh, there's a chosen way that God has provided for you to come into the kingdom, and that's by pressing. And then you say, I'm not into the kingdom of God. And the question is, are you pressing into it? Are you pressing into it? Or are you sitting in your pew, waiting for a good service, and waiting for a particular type of atmosphere, and waiting for somebody to put you into the kingdom of God? Or are you actually pressing into it? Or are you waiting for a camp service? Maybe I'm going to sit on the camp service, and the power of God will come in such a tremendous fashion, and I won't have to do much work. I'll just lift up my hand and say, I accept Jesus, and I'll be into the kingdom of God. You're deceiving yourself. Because the scripture tells us clearly, every man, every man, and I say every woman, every child, every adult, every teenager, anybody who finds themselves into the kingdom, if they were to be asked, how did you get into it? I pressed. I pressed into it. And the pressing here implies that there is some opposition. It implies that there are some hindrances. It implies there are some obstacles in the way. And somebody who is determined to, be in, to go into the kingdom of God makes his way through all the obstacles. That means that there is nothing that's going to hinder him from pressing into it. I believe Gabe was sharing, sharing the testimony a, a while ago when, when the Lord began to deal, deal with him. And I believe Brother Michael Yee was ministering on finish it. It was a, the, the thought of finishing. Jesus didn't go halfway to the cross, but he finished it. And the Lord began to deal with Gabe and said, you have to finish it. You have to finish. You have to finish. And then he thought, is this okay, Gabe? He thought that if there is an altar call, that will be a great opportunity because there will be an altar call, then I can just go to the altar. And Brother Michael closed the service, and he says, we're going to sing, uh, what was the song again, Gabe? Jesus dropped the charges. It's a clapping song. It's like, Jesus dropped the charges, and the entire church is rejoicing. And Gabe is like, how am I going to get to that altar? It's like, there's no altar call. There's no song that will, that will suggest that sinners can come to the Lord and surrender their lives. But there was something taking place in Gabe. There was a pressing. Altar call or no altar call, I'm pressing. Fast song or slow song, I'm pressing. Worship song or praise song, I'm pressing. There is a pressing, there's a determination in him, I will press. Even though the song service or the song that they're singing is probably not the typical song for the sinner to come to repent. But no song was going to stop him from pressing into the kingdom of God. 
And then he's thinking, I have made plans after church. My friends are waiting for me. But he had a press. And here he finds himself at the altar with people singing, Jesus dropped the charges. And he's pressing into the kingdom of God. Why? Because every man who enters the kingdom of God presses into it. So you have no excuse for why you're not pressing into the kingdom. Say, or maybe this song. No, this song is very special to me. If the song leader can only sing that song, maybe it will encourage me. No. You've not realized where you are. And you've not realized what the kingdom is. Because when you realize where you are and you realize where the kingdom is, you realize how great the gap is. Then you have to press into it. And we see that in the, in the days of Jesus Christ, anybody that came in encounter, had an, an encounter with Jesus who was desperately looking for something, pressed into it. Jesus was in, on his way to, uh, in, in Jericho, and here comes Blanc Bartimaeus, and he's screaming and crying out loud, Have mercy on me, Jesus, son of David. Why? Because there's a multitude. There's obstacles. There's noise. There's people that are hindering him. He doesn't have any way of going near Jesus. But the kingdom of God is within reach. So what is Blanc Bartimaeus going to do? He's going to press into it. He's going to do something he's never done before. He's going to do whatever it takes to get the attention of his master. Because he's in need. He has to press into it. It's blind Bartimaeus realizing I'm blind. And here is the one who can give me sight. And unless I can press into it right now, who knows the next time you'll come by my way. There is a pressing into it. You cannot tell Blind Bartimaeus, just go on your way believing. One of these days might come back. Good luck with that. That won't satisfy him. Say, maybe you wait. I am blind. This is my chance to see. I'm going to press into it. There comes a time in our lives where our needs are so desperate and so urgent that it requires a pressing into. It doesn't require just sitting in your pew and hoping that something takes place in your service. How about you press into the kingdom of God tonight? Why don't you say that my need is great, brother? I have such a great need. I need salvation or my children need salvation. And I'm hoping that something will take place. Why don't you press into it? And then you are wondering, could this be the service? How about you make it the service? Because you can either sit and wait for the service, or you can make tonight that service. Blood Bartimaeus could sit and wait. Maybe one day he'll pass by close enough that I won't have to scream. I'll just say, Jesus, because it's within reach. He said, no, 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 no. I'm going to make this day that day. I'm going to make this day the day that he's going to hear me. How? I will press into it. Now camp is at hand. We're waiting for camp next week. But I'm telling you tonight, press into it tonight. Parents just said, oh, I've registered my child for camp. God is going to deal with him next week. I pray. Press into it tonight. Let your son go to camp, fill with the Holy Ghost, and get another refilling of the Holy Ghost. Don't wait another two, three, four, five days, seven days, one week before God gets a hold of his heart. Somebody who's not born again. If you have a child that's backslidden, is not serving the Lord. He's not serving the Lord. Who is he serving? You can only serve two masters. If you're one master, if you're not serving God, who are you serving? There's no child that's backslidden that's just wandering around not serving somebody. He's serving somebody. And you were telling me that you're okay with your son going one more day serving the devil. Because there's an appointed time at camp where God can get a hold of him then. 
That's one more week under the servitude of the devil. I say press into the kingdom. Press into the kingdom of God tonight. The woman with the blood issue. Boy, did she press into the kingdom. There was, there was a multitude. She was unclean. And she nudged her way through the crowd. And realizing according to the law of Moses, every single person that she touched, she made unclean. Who knows how many people were made unclean that day. She did not care. This is the day that I'm going to get a hold of this garment. And this blood issue will be dealt with, solved once and for all. At any cost. No matter what the cost is. I'm willing to go the distance. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to press into it. And when she touched him, he was the only one in that crowd that could not be made unclean by her touch. But it was her touch in return that made her clean. Why? Because she pressed into it. Press into the kingdom of God. Now you say, Brother John, that's all good, Bible. Didn't you read about the prodigal son? What are we talking about here? Now, Jesus often spoke about spoken parables in the scripture so that the common people could understand. And then this, there's many parables that are under uh, certain themes. So you have, for example, we have the theme of the kingdom of heaven. And there's many, many parables. The parable of the sower, the parable of the hidden treasure, or the man who found the pearl in the, in the field, the growing seed, the master seed. So under the theme of love and forgiveness, you have the parable of the Good Samaritan, the two debtors, and the unforgiving servant. Then you have the parable of prayer, so the friend of the night, the unjust judge, the Pharisee and the publican. And you have the parable about the end times, the faithful servant, the ten virgins, the great banquet or the marriage, the rich fool, the wicked husbandman, the tares, the net, the biting fig, the, the barren fig tree, and all that. You also have other parables that don't seem to be grouped under any theme, such as the wise and foolish builders, the lamp under the bushel, the unjust steward, the rich man and Lazarus. But then you also have this parable, these three parables uh, under the theme of redemption or the lost. And it's the lost sheep, the lost, the lost coin, and the lost son, which is the prodigal son. So my title tonight is The Parable of the Lost. I'd like to take for a text The Parable of the Lost. It's these three parables. When you read in Luke chapter 15, we read about the parable of the lost son, which is known as the prodigal. This one is one of the, well, the, well, the most well-known parables. We can all identify with that because we were all once the prodigal son. We all once in our lives followed our own fleshly desires and found ourselves in a dire situation and a God rich in mercy came by our way. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, were in time past walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Sounds like the particle sent to me. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love, where he loved us. It was God, rich in mercy, that came by our way. It's the mercy of God that stopped us, that awoken us from our, uh, from our condition of being dead. But he quickened us and made us alive again. So that's the parable of the prodigal son. Now, 
But this parable here of the prodigal son is not a separate parable. It's actually, there's one parable and there's three aspects of the same parable. So when we talk about the parable of the lost sheep, the lost corn, and the prodigal son, they're actually the same parable if you look in the scripture. So if you actually go back in Luke chapter 15 where we read, now we can start from verse 1 as opposed to verse 11. It says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners. For some reason, every single time I read this, I read all the republicans and sinners. <laughs> I guess the Democrats are the sinners. Uh, but, and it's the publicans, not republicans. And verse 2 says, And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them. Right? So he didn't, speak, he didn't speak three different parables in plural. It says, and he spoke this parable. It's a singular parable. And now he goes into three distinct stories in that one parable. So he breaks down this parable in, in three different aspects. It starts with the lost sheep. Then it moves on to the lost coin. And then finally, the lost son or the prodigal son. So if you continue reading, verse 4 says, What man of you having a hundred sheep? If you lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than one, more than over 99 just, pers- just persons which need no repentance. So we're starting with this parable of the lost sheep. You realize that it's the condition of the sheep that causes concern. As long as the sheep was amongst the entire flock, when it was just 100 sheep, the, she- the shepherd is not concerned. But it's when the shepherd comes to the realization that one of them is missing that causes concern. When it was just not one out of a hundred sheep, there was no problem because that sheep was with the rest of them. There was no concern. But when this individual sheep is isolated from the rest of the flock being lost, that now becomes the, the primary focus of the shepherd. It doesn't mean that the 99 were not important. It just means that that one was lost. And then all the focus and all the attention of the shepherd goes to that one sheep that is lost. But I want you to realize this first, that the shepherd cannot take any action until he realizes that one sheep is missing. Right? It's, it's coming to that realization that one sheep is missing that pulls the shepherd into work. And the shepherd has to face the reality of this, the nature or, or the condition of his flock. Coming to an understanding and a realization, wait a minute, I lost one. And it's that realization that puts the shepherd into desperation to get into work. You, it's not something that you can just, you know, uh, cope with mind over matter and say, well, everything is fine. You know, though I'm missing uh, one sheep, but I'm still going to act and live as though I had a hundred. You can't do that. You can all just say, I'm going to go walking every single day confessing I have a hundred sheep. I have a hundred sheep. That's not going to change anything. You have to face the music. You have to realize what's before you, the situation before you, and take appropriate action. So, okay, now I have to face reality. There's one sheep that's lost. What am I going to do about it? And it's only when the shepherd admits to himself that one is lost, 
that he begins to take appropriate action. So sometimes when we look at our situation, we have to admit what our conditions are and where we find ourselves so we can take the right appropriate action. We cannot have a mental block and pretend everything is fine. And just say, I'm just going to live my life as though nothing was wrong. And I'm going to pretend that everything was fine. Hopefully things turn around for the best. No. You have to face the music and take inventory and realize there is a problem. One ship is lost. There's something, something must be done. Now the Bible tells us here that after he realizes the ship is lost, he goes after it until he finds it. He doesn't take breaks. He doesn't go after it for a day and then relaxes for a week and then tries again. He doesn't go after it for a couple of hours and says, man, I've been searching for half an hour. Let me take a break and and get some rest here and maybe I'll come back tomorrow. No, the parable is clear. He goes after that which is lost until. The only thing that's going to put an end to his searching is finding it. And that's the desperation of a shepherd who knows, he says, that ship is lost unless I intervene. Who knows what will happen to that ship? Perhaps a wolf, perhaps a lion, perhaps something. And that ship is hopeless, can't find its way back home. I will not rest until. So the shepherd is determined that he will not rest until that ship is brought back into the fold. Because even though he's tired, even though he's labored for a long time, even though he's been discouraged by looking here, it wasn't there. He went there, it wasn't there. It's been two hours. It's been four hours. It's been five hours. I'm tired. Even though he was tired, he presses into it. Why? Because nothing will satisfy him until that ship is restored back into the fold. That type of a determination can only be appeased by the answer. You tell the woman with the blood issue to take a break and go back and try another day. You go ahead and tell blind Bartimaeus, take a break, try another day. There comes a situation in our lives where we need to press until. And when the ship is found, there will be time to rejoice. There's going to be a time to rejoice. There's going to be a time to rest. There's going to be a time where you can sleep at night. But until then... Press until. You say, Brother John, I've been praying for my child every single day. I'm, I'm tired. I'm just going to rest upon it and, and trust that one day it will be well. The time for rest will come. Until then, press. Press into it until then. One day you will rejoice with your child that's been lost. One day you'll be rejoicing with, that, with your daughter that's been gone for years. But until that time comes, press into it. Now, I... I I'm very conscious that I'm only speaking to whoever I'm speaking to, if that makes sense. I trust that the Holy Spirit will take what I'm saying to whoever this is for. Okay? So when the lost ship is, when the lost ship is found, the Bible says that the shepherd takes him and puts him on his shoulders. In other words, that ship that was lost ceases from his own works. Because the ship was wandering around Laboring, working, wandering around, trying to find his way, lost, going for hours, hours, and tired. But once the shepherd found him, it's no more about his works. The shepherd says, lean on my strength. No longer your works, it's now my works. Your entire weight and your burden are now on me. 
I know the way. You come to a place of rest. See, there's a place of rest after the fact. Now the Bible says in Luke chapter 19, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and he could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured and said that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation coming to this house. For so much as he is also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man is come to seek and save that which was lost. Now again, this tells us that there was a pressing. Jesus was passing by that way, and Zacchaeus could not get any close because of the crowd. So what does Zacchaeus do? He does something unusual. He runs. He climbs up a tree. He's willing to do whatever it's going to take to get the attention of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I read this, I begin to wonder, how many more like Zacchaeus were there that day? And had a need. How many more like Zacchaeus had a need? Maybe there was a child dying at home. Maybe there was a son that needed salvation. Maybe there was one with, with sickness. Maybe themselves they were sick. Like the woman with the blood issue. How many more in that multitude were there? And were hindered by the pressing of the crowd. And stopped there. But it's the one who was willing to press into he is the one that Jesus says, make haste because tonight I will abide in your house. He was the one who had Jesus in his house. I wonder how many tonight have a need. But I wonder who is going to be that brother? Who is going to be that sister? Who is going to be that father or that mother who is going to say, Lord, I'm going to press into it tonight. And Jesus says, because of your pressing, I will abide in your house. And then the rest wondered, how come you only went to, to Zacchaeus' house? What about me? Did you press into it? Jesus came because that was Abraham's son. Zacchaeus was a child of Abraham. But Jesus didn't come and say, hey, Zacchaeus, where are you? I've come for you. No. Zacchaeus had to press into it. Jesus gave him the opportunity by coming to where he was. Then it was up to him to press into it. Maybe you're saying that if the preacher begins to speak exactly what is in my heart and what I'm pondering about, then I know that God is speaking to me. Why don't you be the one who presses into it and changes the preacher's subject to talk about what's on your heart? Do the pressing. Now Jesus identifies himself as a good shepherd and he says he has come to save that which was lost. So in this parable of the lost sheep, it's about Jesus, who is the good shepherd. He's the one who leads the 99 to go find the one. He's the one who came and found us. And now the sheep, the shepherd goes after the sheep because it's his sheep. It's not somebody else's sheep. 
It's his ship. He's going after what's his. As Brother Thomas has been ministering in the series on mine, he can say, it's mine. That ship is mine. Why are you going? I'm going after it. Why? Because it's mine. And the shepherd didn't go in the wilderness looking for any other wandering sheep. He had one sheep in mind. And he was going for that sheep because it was his. The shepherd knows the sheep. All the shepherds in Israel, they knew the sheep. They knew them even by name. They had marks on the sheep. They could identify which one is theirs. So perhaps that shepherd was going looking for a sheep. And he found another one. That's not mine. He kept looking. That's not mine. Because he wasn't trying to fill a number. It wasn't about, oh, I need a hundred. I'm going to find whatever sheep I found. It was his. That's what he was after. What's his? What is Brother Tom trying to get you to understand? Go after what's yours. Caleb said, give me my mountain. Not any mountain. I want the one that Moses promised me. What's mine? My sheep. My son. My daughter is mine. That's what I'm pressing for. What's mine? This shepherd doesn't ask another shepherd to go look after his sheep. I've lost one. You go do the looking. I'll stay. You go find my lost sheep. I'll wait for you. He doesn't hire people and say, I'll give you $500 if you find my sheep. He understands I'm responsible for it. It's mine. I labor for this sheep. It's mine. It's the sheep of my flock. It's mine. I'm the shepherd. It's mine. No man is going to do my job for me. I'm going to be the one who's going to roll up my sleeve and go after what's mine. Not the preacher at camp. Not the preacher beyond the pulpit. It's I. It's mine. I have to go after what's mine. Is this okay tonight? Now Jesus goes... In verse 8, so he moves from the lost sheep, and in verse 8 he says, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she loses one piece, doth not light a candle, and sweep the house, and seek diligently, here it is again, until she finds it. So the shepherd, he looks for that sheep until he finds it. And there's a common theme here. And now this woman who loses a coin, she looks for it, until she finds it. And when she had found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, here it is again, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. So something is lost. There's a realization that it's lost. There's a searching after it until it's found. And only after it's found, there's a rejoicing. Until it's found, there's no cause to rejoice. There's no cause to pause. There's no cause to take a break. There's no cause to rest. Because you cannot be satisfied until it's found. And now here, the Bible is very clear to us here. That this woman, she lights up a candle. And she sweeps the house. Two things. She needs light. She needs to light up something. Something must be set ablaze. Something must be set on fire. To provide light. So she can begin to search. Don't start sweeping the house without lighting the candle first. It's only after she lit up the candle that she begins to sweep the house. And when you're sweeping the house, that means the house is full of dust everywhere. She is trying to remove everything 
that might hinder her from finding the corn that she's lost. The Bible says, and she seeks diligently. Diligently is not like a husband going in the kitchen to find something his wife asked him to find. That's not diligently. My wife tells me, go in the kitchen and find this. I go and I look, I'm like, I didn't see it, honey. That's not diligence in searching. That's not what the scripture is talking about here. There's a diligent search. That means you turn every stone, every corner of the house. You even search in places you've not looked into before. You revisit areas of your house that you've not visited in a long time. You start to search in your heart in places you've not searched before. Why? You're being diligent. Is there any dust in my house? Is there anything in this house that might be hiding this corn? Or that may hinder me from finding the corn that I have lost? If there is, sweep it up. But first, light up that candle of the gospel. Set your soul aflame with a real burning and fire of the Holy Ghost. Then you can begin to search. What's the purpose of searching with no true burden? Light up the candle. When that candle is lit... When yourself, you're reconsecrated. When yourself, your life is where it's supposed to be. When the fire of the gospel and the burning for souls burns in your heart, then begin to sweep and search. Now, she lit up the candle. Not to go and look at her, her garments. She lit up the candle. Not to go in the kitchen and make something to eat. The candle was lit with one purpose. To help her find. One purpose. She started sweeping. Not because she was doing chores in her house. The sweeping was to find. Everything she did. Was with one intent. To find. When she came to church. She only had one intent. To find. Every single tape she listened to. And every single scripture she listened to. It was to find my child. To find my son. To find my lost coin. Every service with one intent to find. You say, but you have the candle is lit. Do something else with it. I have to find. The candle has been lit so I can find what I lost. When your focus is just one thing. My son. My daughter. And that's your only focus. Service after service. Every scripture you read. Every time you go on your knees. Every time you listen to a tape. You're saying, Lord, give me something. Give me a scripture for my child. Give me something for my daughter. What is the only burden? Then you know you're about to find what you lost. Now this woman is overtaken with a burden and a desperation to find what she lost. Like the shepherd, she needs to come to that realization, I've lost something. Maybe somebody needs to come to your realization, I've lost something. Maybe you have to come to realization that, wow, my son is really dead. More dead than I thought he was. My daughter is very in a critical, more critical situation than I first thought. Something must be done. Now, there's nothing else on her mind but to find that coin. If somebody comes to her house and visits her and to start talking about who knows what, in her mind she's saying, leave my house. Just leave. Because I don't want to be here. All I want to do is search for that coin. You're taking up all my time. I'd rather be searching for that coin. Did you hear what so-and-so said in the market? I have no time for gossip. I'd rather be searching for that coin. 
Did you see the latest iPhone? I have no time for that. I'd rather be searching for thy coin. Everything else becomes distraction. No value to it. If it's not going to help you find my coin, what's the point of all of it? Take a break. Let's go watch Netflix. I'd rather be watching Finding My Coin. There's no other way. There's nothing else on your mind. When God is all you have on your mind, for those of you who need salvation, need the Holy Ghost. When God is all, the only thing on your mind, and nothing else will do. You have no time for video games. You have no time for going to the mall with your friends. The only thing that concerns you, find that coin. Then God can begin to deal with you. Then you're going to find. Because such requests in desperation cannot be refused. The shepherd, he found the sheep. This woman, she finds a coin. So she swept, she swept the house and she removed everything that was in the way. Everything that was in the way. And she had time for nothing else but that. And similar to the shepherd, she doesn't ask somebody else to do the searching for her. She doesn't go ahead and say, you know what? I used to have 10 coins. I now only have nine. I've lost one something. You know, I'm going to do this. Why don't you spend some time looking for it? She didn't put that on somebody else to do the work. She didn't put it on the ministry to do the work. She had to be the one to search for it. Search for it. Bring it back. The shepherd searched for that sheep. Brought it back. Why? It's his. This coin is hers. It belongs to her. She's not searching for any coin. She's searching for the one that she lost because it's hers. And when she finds it, she rejoices. And her joy becomes everyone's joy. Now the reason why the rejoicing is mentioned in both cases, especially in the lost sheep, is that the sheep that was lost experienced the despair of being lost. And then the comfort of being found. And then the shepherd experienced the despair of losing a sheep and the relief of finding it. So in other words, there is a blending of joy and harmony. The joy of the shepherd blends with the joy of the sheep. The joy of the one searching blends with the joy of the one who was found. It's the restoration of things in the way they ought to be that brings completeness to the shepherd. So when God finds you, you experience the despair of being lost without God. And then the relief and the joy of being found and saved. Likewise, God experienced the emptiness of having no fellowship with you. But when he found you, his joy was complete in you. And then your joy was complete in him. That's the blending and the harmony of rejoicing. When the one who was lost is found and the one who was seeking finds. Now, the lost sheep went astray and was a living object. But the lost coin has no life in it. Therefore, the lost coin does not even know that it's lost. Though it was lost, it wasn't forgotten. It was a life without a coin. It was lifeless. It was a coin without life. It was lifeless. So for that piece of coin, it didn't even matter. There's no difference whether it was in the floor, in the drawer, in the dust, it didn't matter to the coin because it had no life to it. So that is a sinner 
who is spiritually dead, living in sin and trespasses, and doesn't know it. He's like that silver coin. No consciousness of sin, no consciousness of God, living a sinful life without any conviction whatsoever. It makes no difference whether he's in church or not. It makes no difference whether he drinks or not because he's dead. There's no life. That means that when a sinner realizes that he's a sinner and realizes that he's lost, that's the proof of the grace of God working in his life. Because it's the goodness of God that brings man to repentance. If it wasn't for the goodness of God, you would not even know that you're a sinner. If you're here and you realize in your heart, I am a sinner, that means that grace is actively working in your life. And the only thing you're left to do is to press into the kingdom of God. Or else, you would have been like that lost coin, having no feeling whatsoever, not caring what your state is. But though it was lost, she didn't forget. Now, the shepherd is a man. Shepherd looking for a sheep. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, this woman is a church. We know that a woman is a type of a church. And it's a church through whom the Holy Spirit is working with a burden to find the lost. But Abraham says, until the burden gets on the Christian church for lost souls, we're fighting in the air. Let's ask, let us stop speaking. I believe in gifts and signs and wonders. Why? Certainly. That goes, with, that goes with the body. But let's not put that ahead of love and lost souls. Let's get into a burden on our hearts. And brother, somebody asked brother the question in question and answer. He says, it seems among the ministers of the word that we have little or no burden to pray, to preach, to fast, or even for lost, lost souls that might still be there somewhere in the world. Would you please tell us what to do about this condition? Thank you very much, Brother Branham. Uh, Brother Branham goes on and answers that question. He says, preachers and ministers, why we don't have burdens for lost souls? It's a lack of revival. Now, people think that a revival is miracles, is screaming, is shouting, is standing up in every service, is clapping. A true revival is a burden for souls. If there's no burden for lost souls, it's a lack of revival. And when you're looking at your life, you're saying like, I don't see any miracles in my life. I want a revival. But if you have a burden for souls, you are in a revival and you don't know it. But if you don't have it, then ask for it. Because a burden for souls, a burden for the thing that is lost, cannot be manufactured. It can't. You can't fake it. You can say, I have a burden, I have a burden, that's just saying it. A burden cannot be manufactured. It's not your doing. So you cannot work yourself up to get a burden. But you can ask for it. You can pray for it. In the book of Nehemiah chapter 2, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sat in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of the heart. And I said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the place of my father's sepulchre, is alive waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Here's Nehemiah, I believe Brother Daniel spoke on this. Here's Nehemiah with a burden for his city, for the gates of Jerusalem, for the city. 
And then he wasn't pretending to be sad in front of the king. Nor was he trying to show, I need to show the king that something is wrong with me. No. There was a burden that was consuming Nehemiah that he couldn't hide it. It was all over his face. And he couldn't hide it. That's the true burden. Go, go ahead and start searching for burden in the message. You see what Brother Bonham says. It's that thing that's unbearable. That won't let you sleep at night. That won't let you eat. That life loses its meaning. You have time for nothing else. That's a true burden. Unless you have that, you don't have a burden. I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm just trying to convey something on my heart. And if the Holy Spirit speaks to you, then it's for you. If it doesn't, then it's not for you. That's fine. But that burden, if it's not there, then what you have is a concern. Not a burden. If all you have is like, oh, my son is lost. Lord, I need you to save my son. And then you're waiting one of these days. That's not a burden. A burden is that thing that you can't go to sleep. Every single time you pray, you bring it before the Lord. There's no peace until. When you're going to church, you say, Lord, one scripture. When you're having devotion, you open your Bible. Give me one scripture. When you're praying, Lord, one word from you. When you're listening to a tape, what can I do, Lord? Is there something in my life that I have to change? What do you need me to do? What will it take to turn the situation around? Your focus is zeroed in on that one, one thing around. You're not thinking about career. You're not thinking about money or vacation. You're thinking about, I need my son. That's the only thing on your mind. That is what a burden is. When you're out of nowhere, you are working and it grips you. And you excuse yourself. Maybe you go in the washroom and you bow your head like, Lord, no matter where you are, maybe you're on the bus on the way to work and it comes to you. That's what a burden is. It goes, it comes back. It goes and comes back. And that burden will only be satisfied when that which is lost is found. Unless you have that, you don't have a burden. And what you should be praying for, Lord, give me a burden. Give me one like I've never had before. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. You think the Mexican woman with the dead baby was going to be satisfied by anything else than her child being raised from the dead? Read the account. Over 500 ushers trying to stop her from getting to the prophet. She's climbing under the feet, over the shoulder. She's a little woman with a baby in her hand and they can't contain her. You try to tell her, just go back home and believe that your child will be raised from the dead. Try and tell her that and see if that satisfies her. Bible says, and I love the quote, she said, my son is dead. He's been dead since this morning. I must get in there. She must press into it. And when I read it, I thought, oh Lord, maybe a mother will say, my son is dead. He's been dead for five years. I must press into this. Maybe a father will say, oh Lord, my daughter is dead. She's been dead since 2016. I must press into this. Oh Lord, my nephew is dead. He's been dead since 2011. I must press into this. She knew something must be done. And brother, he said, she doesn't know me. You go pray for her. She won't know the difference. She, that will satisfy her. Not that woman. She won't be satisfied by Brother Jack Moore praying. She won't be satisfied by anything else than that child being raised from the dead. Why? The previous night, she saw God give eyesight black to a blind man. And she knew if he can give sight to a blind man, he can restore my son back to me. 
How many of you have seen God do great things? That ought to put you in desperation. If he's done that, surely he can do something for me. And Brother says, as they went away, I saw a little baby smiling at me. And I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. When desperation changes the heart of the prophet, and it's, wait a minute. Something is taking place. He said, her desperation changed my heart. And her desperation brought the vision down. It wasn't Brother Bonham had a vision. It was her. Her desperation. That caused the vision. You want services that are tailored, tailored for your needs? Press into it. Let your desperation, let your prayer bring that inspiration in the minister to preach exactly what you need. Why? It's your doing it. In other words, she operated the gift by her desperation. She said, I'm going to draw out of this gift what I need and nothing will stop me. You have power to draw from every gift, whatever you have need of. That's a real burden. That cannot be manufactured. That can't be faked. Usually it takes a state of emergency to throw us into desperation. See? It's too bad it has to do that. But human beings are so slothful in their mind that it takes an emergency. Something arises... And when they do, it throws them into desperation. God knows our human nature, that we're slothful by nature. Human beings, we get exercised about something, we get anointed, we get inspired, and we carry on something for a long, for maybe two weeks. Effort, 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 go, 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 two weeks. Exhausted, take a break. Try again in a month. That's just human nature. Something will be said in the service that will particularly inspire you and you're back to your feet. You're like, I'm going to press into this. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be diligent. And you do it. And you do it. You do it. No results. You're like, ah, okay. I'm just going to take a break and trust the Lord on this. And then seasons after season, it comes back. And you try again. That's just human nature. The Bible says that God will orchestrate situations and emergencies that will throw us in desperation. You know what throws you in desperation? It's when you think that things are getting better. And they get worse. And the more you believe, the more impossible it becomes. That contrast between your reality and your expectation of faith throws you into desperation. And God allows that. He will allow you to believe something and to claim it and to walk into it and things get worse. You're like, what? And like, okay, another service, anointed, inspired, and it keeps getting worse. And then that does something to a human being. And it creates such a confusion, for lack of a better term, but it really throws you into a desperate state. You're like, there's, there's a conflict between my expectation and my reality. What, what is taking place? Oh, Lord, I'm desperate. Something must change. God allows that. So if you have found that, the more you press into it, the more you believe for your children, the more it seems to get worse. No, God is taking you into desperation. He's orchestrating events and circumstances to throw you into that state where you have no other choice but to throw all you got and give all you have. So, but I want to go on to say that the days that we're living should cause the church to completely go into desperation. It says the signs of his coming should bring this entire congregation into desperation. When you realize what's taking place in the world, we are 
Bible believers, we understand what's happening in the world. And every single scholar of the Bible or every reader of the Bible, like Jeremiah, you know, like Daniel, when he understood that the days of the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jeremiah had come. When you come to that understanding, you see that your redemption dry and night. What has been prophesied in scripture and in the message, you see all those events taking place in the world. You know, as believers, the end is near. You know, and that ought to throw the church in desperation. Because that means that if the end is near, and that means the rupture is at hand, and that means that we will make it, and they won't. It's, it's, it's not a magic wand. Like Brother Tom was saying on Sunday, the token is not a magic wand. Where he said, I wave the token on my family, and the rapture come, and your son is a drunkard, body change, rapture. But what happened that way? If he doesn't have the Holy Ghost, he won't make the rapture. So that throws you into desperation. It says, I can see the signs. The end is near. What about my child? If, if the Lord comes tonight, he is lost. Now you put that off for another service. Go ahead and try that and see if that goes well for you. If you think that this is one thing that can be waited and waited and waited without being desperate. See, Jacob was once desperate because he was going to face Esau. And he knew that he made his living by being a cheater and a shyster and a supplanter. Not being honest about everything in life, still he made his way and God still blessed him in the grace of God. And he could go by in life without being really converted, but still having blessings in his life. Then one day, he was going to meet Esau. And that threw him in desperation. And he, and he was left alone at night. Now he's getting serious. And now he begins to wrestle with the angel of the Lord. And he begins to wrestle wrestle, wrestle with him. And Brother Bam goes on to say that maybe as he was wrestling, he felt a little blessing. Maybe he felt something. He's like, oh, I think this is it. No, not Jacob. He was not going to be satisfied by his feeling. He wasn't going to pray until he cried a little bit and said, okay, I think I've cried. I think I've got something from God. Uh-uh, not Jacob. He wasn't going to just pray and pray and pray. I think, I think I've done it now. Uh-uh. Jacob was determined until I won't let you go. And the angel of the Lord says, Jacob, you got to let me go. The, the morning is coming. And Jacob thinks, but so is Esau. The morning is coming, Jacob, but so is Esau. I don't care that the morning is coming. I have to face Esau. Unless I'm a changed man, I can't face Esau the same way. The morning is coming, Jacob. Let me go. But so is Esau coming. And the angel is saying, but the morning is here. I have to go. He's like, yeah. You have to go, but I also have to face Esau, so I'm sorry. I'm not going to let you go because you don't know what it's like to face Esau. You don't know what it's like to be me. And I cannot face Esau, Jacob. I can't do it. I've been a supplanter for years. I've faked it for years. But I cannot face this carnal flesh until I'm changed. Because really, Jacob and Esau are twins. And Brother Bram talks about it. One is a carnal man, one is an inner man. It's not two individuals. It's in one body, two natures. This is your Esau. And Jacob is coming to realize that I can't face this unless I'm changed. You're like, but it's almost 10 o'clock. I have to go to bed because work is coming tomorrow. But so is Esau. When you wake up tomorrow for work, Esau will be there unless you're Israel. Unless you meet the angel tonight, you will go back home, Jacob. 
And when the morning comes, Esau will be there. The morning comes of Jacob, I saw his Esau. When you go back home, Esau will be there. Unless you're changed and transformed. I won't let you go until you bless me. And I'm in closing. The parable. Can I, take, I have about five minutes left. Can I take five more? I just need to close here. The prodigal have we read. So the lost sheep, the shepherd goes after and finds it. The woman with the lost coin, she sweeps over the entire house until she finds it. Now the prodigal, he goes and the father stays home. He doesn't go after him. Though he doesn't tell us explicitly in the scriptures, he doesn't tell us that the father actually went for him. But we know the prophet of God tells us that the angel of the Lord came to that boy and said, wake up, boy. And he said, I will arise. And he arose. And the Bible says, and when he came to himself, he went to his father's house. See, he could not go to his father's house unless he first came to himself. And he couldn't come to himself unless the angel of the Lord went to him. Now let me ask you the question, why send the angel of the Lord there? It's the father. It's the love of the father that was waiting, that was groaning, that was agonizing, that was burning for the child. That sent the angel and woke him up. Now to make the story short, there's a lot to dig into this, but to make it short. Now the other son comes and he hears the music and he says, I won't go in there. Because this guy, he went and lived with prostitutes, that's what the scripture says. So I guess he knew exactly what his brothers was up to. Maybe he had his servants spy on him and tell him. He knew. He says, I won't go in there because my father never did this for me. Now, it's interesting. Now, the Bible tells us that the father went out to his son. Now, when the first one was gone, the father never went to seek him. He waited for him. But when this one refused to come in the house, the father leaves and goes to him and reasons with him to bring him back into the house. And I began to think about this. It's one father. With two sons, with two different natures. And he knows how to deal with each one of his sons differently. See, if you're not applying the same thing to all your children, because they're all different, with different nature, it takes wisdom to know when to run after, when to plead and wait. That's the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, as I was pondering on this subject here, I began to think, now we can all identify with this, especially parents, with lost children, with backsliding children, the one scripture you can go back to is this, because you were the father and your child left. Or you were the mother and your child left. So you feel like, this is my scripture. I just have to wait and pray and believe that my child will come back because he's the one who left. But I began to think, how different would the account be if the father was the reason why the child left? I was going to get a little bit quiet here and I'm just going to express my heart to you. It's one thing when the child leaves because of the lust of his flesh, because of the things of the world, because he doesn't want to serve the Lord, and he leaves. It's another thing when the parent creates atmosphere in the home that began to push the child out. Now, in that case, who's the prodigal? The father or the son who pushed the child out? And sometimes we can be in the position where we did something. Or we said something. Or we acted in a way that made the children leave. And we identify ourselves with the product of the father who says, I will wait. I did nothing wrong. I'm going to wait for him to come back home. 
In that case, the roles are reversed. You need to come to yourself. You need to be awakened and arise and realize this was my doing. I actually had a hand in this. Maybe in the relationship that I did not have with my children, I failed. Maybe I was too harsh. Maybe I was such and such. Maybe I was legalistic. Maybe I didn't care really about them. All I cared was being right. It's very quiet. I'm sure you're going to love me regardless. So I'm just going to preach it. Now, there's a difference between loving truth and loving being right. There's some people who love to witness just because they want to be right. There's no burden for souls that they know that the message is true and they know it's right and they want to show that I know what's right and they enjoy being right. That's not what the burden for truth is. So convicting a sinner is not about a position of moral authority. You're not convicting a sinner because you're a moral authority over them. You're convincing a sinner because you love them. Because unless you spare the lives, they will be lost. It's not from the position of authority. I'm righteous. I'm a believer. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. You are lost. You're a sinner. I'm the high priest of the home. I'm the head. You do what I say. It's out of love. And love nurtures relationships. And when father and mother work on relationship with children, unless that is done, all your prayers is for nothing. This is the sweeping of the house. And the lighting of the candle it takes. And some, we cannot put God in the box and say that God cannot do what he wants to do. God is sovereign. And many children, God, 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 get God a hold of them. Regardless of relationship with parents. God can do it. Many times, it takes natural to fix spiritual. Many times. You want to see a revival of particles coming home? Let's turn this around. How about the fathers and the mothers began to take inventory? What could I have done differently? What did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? Was it something I said? Was it something I did not do? If the only time you show affection and love is when they come to church, you failed. Because they are your child, whether they serve the Lord or not. Biologically, they are your child. They have a heavenly father. And the burden for them will come if you have true love, which is agape. It's not your filial that's going to do it. It's not because you realize they are your children. It's because you realize they are also God's children. I wonder if we don't have a particle father or a mother who is actually the one who even unwillingly calls the child to leave. Maybe start looking into your heart. And like I said, there might be one But whoever the Holy Spirit is speaking to, I say this with confidence. Whoever the Holy Spirit is speaking to, it's you. You say, Lord, it's me. It is me. Let me light up my candle. And let me take the broom and start sweeping my home. Until I find what is it that I could have done different. And what do I need to make right to create the circumstances to bring them back home. Brother tells the story of the child that left his home and then... He had asked, I think, one of his friends to go and, and say, you know, I sent a telegram, I believe he was, to my parents and say, I want to come back home. If you want to walk me home, maybe put a white cloth on one of the trees. Yeah. If I see that, I will know that you want me home. And when he hopped on the train, he was scared to look at. He asked his friend, what is there? He says, oh, it's all over the place. White cloths all over the place. Why? The parent was creating an atmosphere 
to let the child know you are welcome home anytime. That's my attitude towards you. Sometimes it takes coffee with your son. I can say this because I've been lost and found, born and raised in the message by godly parents. So I know the discrepancy or I know the perspective of a child who's left. So then you can take it from me, okay? Because I know the perspective. Sometimes that's what it takes. It's coffee with your son. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you did just natural things, showing him that you care for his life without being a moral authority? When was the last time you let your life, as opposed to your words, do the speaking? When was the last time it was your atmosphere that say, I want to come back tomorrow. I want to come back the day after. I want to have dinner with you again. Why? Because of the atmosphere around you. Or is it, you're a sinner, you need to get saved, you're going to go to hell, you're a sinner, you need to do this, what do you do with your life? Or if it's constantly that, who's doing what? I think brother, some, a brother was saying the prayer minister, sometimes they will come to church and they'll sit on the balcony because they don't want the parents to know they're here. Why? It's the atmosphere. So I asked you the question tonight, what is it going to take for you to find the lost sheep of the lost coin? That is yours. It's your child. It's your son. It's your daughter. I'm speaking this because camp is coming and your children are going to be there. So today I'm speaking to the parents. So if that's not the case, then what is camp for? The preacher, the ministry, the parents, the counselors, one common accord. That's what does it. One common accord. We're all laboring for the same purpose. To bring all particles back home. And we're going to do whatever it takes. Some by the water, some by the flood, all through the blood. Some might take coffee, some hug, some this, some that. Whatever it takes, we are all going to do whatever it takes. And we will not rest until. It's not something for somebody else to do for you. It's not a name on the prayer board. Pray for my son and you don't come and pray. Can be mad at me if you want, but I have to say it. Because if we are praying for your children, and I trust you're praying at home as well, that's great. I believe that. But if you're at home doing nothing, and there's a man in our world, man of God are praying for your children, why wouldn't you be there? It's your child, it's your corn, it's your sheep. You can't rest until it's not for the counselor, for the parent to do it. It's one common accord, it's gonna be a revival. I proclaim this year, let it be a revival of relationships restored. Let prodigals come back home. Because not only is the world doing it, but the lives of the parents are doing it. Let your life so shine before men, scripture say. Hope I'm not being too hard. It's not, this is a subject that I've tried to avoid for a very long time. Even preparing for today, I was like, I'm not going there. I won't go there. I will not go there, Lord. No, I won't go there. And I looked at somebody's WhatsApp status, believe my sister Megan, she had on WhatsApp status, and she, and she said, prodigal. I said, oh, no. I'm trying to avoid this subject. <laughs> uh, but here it is. I just want to convey to you what my heart is. We believe that the prodigals come home. We believe in laboring for the lost sheep. We believe in repairing bridges. And repaying relationships. Sometimes it's because we identify ourselves to the prodigal father and we realize they left the home. I never left the message. 
Why should I bother? I should just wait. Uh-uh. Sometimes it's the father that's responsible for the child leaving in the first place. And I'm not saying that you're a cruel parent. I'm not saying that you willingly did that to your children. I'm saying we're flawed. We made mistakes. We all do. No parent is perfect. I have a little boy that I don't even know half of the things to go through. But I will go through that as well. And I will make mistakes. But the one thing that I know is that we have somebody we can go to to help us in the midst of all our mistakes. Say, Lord, I'm not saying it is a case, but maybe it is a case. Lord, is there something that I did? Because I don't have a relationship. If the only relationship you have with your children is when they come to church, something is wrong. Something is really, really wrong. Because that's an association by dogmatism. It's same creed, same doctrines, and you're born on doctrine. It's not love. It's not. And the love of God will constrain you and will put a burden on you. And you will turn every single stone. And you will visit every single room of your house until you find it. And you will go in places you've not revisited in a long time. Maybe an argument you had five years ago. That was left unsolved. That you never talked about. That you just brushed under the rug and pretended it didn't happen. Maybe you need to go and say, let's talk about it. Five years ago I did this. I said this. I should not have said that. Forgive me. Maybe that's what it takes. Because when you start to look diligently, you go everywhere. You revisit everything. Every single stone. Maybe it's the atmosphere in the home always fighting with your wife. And the child sees it all the time. And that affects him. And this is not the atmosphere I want to stay in. So I'm going to leave out of the house. And he leaves the house and gets to the wrong crowd. Who pushed him out? Maybe that's what it takes. Maybe we were not a good enough example to you, son. Whatever it's going to be. And I trust the Holy Spirit will bring it to your remembrance. And he will deal with hearts as only he can. Let's stand tonight. Let's just end here because I'm over time now. The good shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, who went to seek that, was, that which was lost. Then the woman looking for the corn is the Holy Spirit through the church, seeking for that which is lost. And the prodigal is the Father himself, seeking that which is lost. See, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the church have one burden. It's to seek after that which is lost by all means necessary. And rest is only found after that which is lost is found. When the shepherd found the lost sheep, he said, come rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep that I lost. When the woman found the lost coin, come and rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. When the prodigal came back home, come and rejoice with me, for my son was dead and now is alive. There is going to be a rejoicing, and we will rejoice with you. Your joy will be our joy. The joy of one family is the joy of the entire congregation. We will rejoice and give testimonies and praise the Lord and hallelujahs. But until then, we will work. We will pray. We will weep. We will come to the prayer meeting. We will have camp. We will pray at the altar. We will pray at home. We have family prayer meetings. We will do what it takes. We will go out for coffee. We will go out camping. We will do natural things. When this will be done, like Brother Tom said on Sunday, how much money do we send to India? Working Brother Tim, how much money do we send to Uganda? For souls out there. And we thank the Lord for that.
What about the souls here? Still, whatever it's going to take for one to be back into the fall. See, 99 could be left at home because one was valuable. He could have said, I already have 99. Why do I need the one? No, each soul is precious. And when you look at the three different stories, there are different ratios. See, one out of 100 is 0.01%. One out of 10 is 0.1%. One out of two is 0.5. It's a different ratio of, of importance. One lost one out of 10. One, one out of uh, 100. One, one out of two. It doesn't matter. The value is the same. The shepherd values the sheep. The woman values the coin. The father values his sons. It's a value. Now, what value do you put on your families, on your children this coming camp? I'm going to do something now. I'm just going to ask... Whoever wants to come forward, and I don't know if this is, gets quiet now. We're going to pray. If somebody is pricking the heart, whether it's a child for a parent, whether it's a parent for a child, whether it's a counselor for somebody that they care about, and you feel in your heart like, Lord, help me have a burden to do whatever is necessary and help me make right everything that I might have done wrong so that this service and going forward, and especially this coming winter camp, you can transform my family. You can do something different for our church. We can have more names on those boards being erased because one by one they are coming. Because I don't want to keep praying on Mondays and Mondays if one of the reasons why they can't come is a lack of forgiveness or a lack of harmony or a lack of family reconciliation. Because those are hindrances. And I want to take this, the broom of the gospel tonight and sweep, sweep, sweep each one of us. Light your candle. You need light so you can search and find what needs to be fixed. I'm saying, I, I don't even know what song. Do you have a song, Brother Ryan, on your heart? Go ahead, play something. Let's close our eyes bow our heads it's you and God now it's you and God now like I said in the beginning I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to one person and if he's speaking to you you know I don't know but if it's for you you know what needs to be done you say Lord maybe I don't really have a burden maybe I'm just concerned but I'm not really burdened maybe I have done something maybe there's something that I must do for you to begin to move in a special way in our lives. Maybe there's something I have to do first for you to move into my child or my daughter's life. I need to turn every single stone, Lord. Maybe, Lord, I'm failing you somewhere. Maybe the relationship and the atmosphere in the home is maybe not quite right. Maybe I haven't been the perfect example of a father or a mother. Maybe I spoke too harshly. Maybe I should not have said that or done this. And you say, Lord, I heard you. I heard the Holy Spirit. I heard your voice tonight. And I'm not ashamed because I know there's a rejoicing coming. And I will rejoice with that sheep over my shoulder. I will rejoice with that corn that's lost. And I will kill the fatted calf and have a rejoicing feast with the saints when my son and daughter come back home. Whatever it takes, Lord. Maybe it was me. Maybe it was the brother who calls the other brother to leave the home maybe not just parents maybe it's the son the other son who calls the other son to leave or the daughter 
who caused the other daughter to leave. Press into it. Press into it. You press into it. Nothing is going to stop me. Nothing is going to hinder me. I'm going to press into it. You say, well, I don't really feel anything. But I know that I heard something from God. But I'm not feeling anything. Don't wait for feelings or a particular song. Press into it. You say, well, maybe there's going to be another service where I can revisit this. Press into it. Press into it. This can be the last service you're ever in. And this camp can be the last camp for your family and your children. This can be make it or break it. Press into it. Father, where did I fail you as a father, as a mother, as a brother, as a minister, as a deacon? Maybe it was a deacon who said something you should not have said to somebody. And they were hurt by it and said, I won't come back. And because of you. Let's stop looking at those who have left. Let's start to look at those who stay. Sometimes the ones who stay are the reasons why they leave. this one was for one person I'm thankful it's worth it it's worth one family doing something right for it to be restored it's worth it it's worth a mother finding her lost son and daughter it's worth it all a father can say Lord it wasn't for all the congregation it was just for me then we will rejoice together it's worth it all Lord what have I done what could I have done and where did I fail help me see it and help me make it right. Help me humble myself as the parent who stayed. And humble myself to the one who left and say, Did I cause you to leave? Was it me? Was it something I said? Or that I didn't say? Did I not love you enough? Did I not protect enough love? Was I not your friend? Where did I go wrong? I want to fix it. Let's fix it. Maybe I should not have said that. Maybe we never resolved that argument we had that day. Maybe let, let's sit down for a coffee. Let's talk about it. How did I make you feel? I'm sorry I caused you that much pain. Whew. Maybe that's what it takes. According to your word.
can sing in the presence of Jehovah again. Can some of the first verse? In and out of situations, that's a g o God bless you. That means you've swept the room. You've turned every single stone. Just stand your ground and trust that that which is lost will be found. And press into it. Don't give up. The shepherd found the lost sheep. The woman found the lost coin. The father found his lost son. Your child has lost will be found. Don't despair. That story doesn't end with anybody losing anything. There's a promise of restoration. Just hold your ground. You've turned every stone. You've done everything right, and you've met with your children. You've made everything right. Just stand your ground and keep living the life. Keep showing them the love that they ought to see, and keep standing your ground as a son of God, and see them come forth. And if what you need is a renewed burden, that's all you need. Say, Lord, give me a renewed burden. And for those of you that come to the altar, just go back home and make it right. Whatever the Holy Spirit brings back to your remembrance, just make it right. Let there be a harmony in the home, a restoration of relationships, natural, and see the Holy Spirit begin to move in your families. And I trust that this camp will be special for your families. I trust that this was for somebody tonight. God Almighty. Now maybe we can see creating me a clean heart. 
baptism now and I trust that the Lord spoke to your hearts and, and heard your cries this evening the cries of your heart at least
special time in the very presence of God to see that God will go after the sheep. He'll go after the prodigal. He'll look for the coin and he found Jeremiah. It's all very applicable. 
And Brother Jeremiah Lovell, I like his uh, dear wife, Anna Hope. Could you please stand? Sam, can you stand? Sister Lisa, can you stand? Here's a young man that ventured many, many miles to Cloverdale from Phoenix. Came into the lives of the St. John's. And God found his sheep. God found a real trophy, Sister Lisa, and a hope, a tremendous husband, Samuel, a best friend. You've been a, a treasure that Jeremiah found. But Jeremiah found you as a treasure also. It works both ways. And tonight, uh, Brother Jeremiah because of the way the Holy Spirit has been dealing and moving, he wants to make sure every stone has been turned over. And I admire a man such as that. Standing before the church of the living God, been a part of the church, loves this word. God has brought him into a tremendous relationship. And he said, Brother Tom, I just want to show the Lord that I want to give him everything. And I said, well, then, let's just give him everything. And Brother Branham made many mention a couple, a few times. Michael was reading this afternoon. I was reading tonight. The Holy Spirit, when he deals with it, he said, just go do it. Go get baptized. Don't let the devil play with your head. And now the Holy Spirit, by the word of the Lord, I believe, just capped off tonight for you, Brother Jeremiah. And Brother Jeremiah was gracious enough to say, I would love to have Brother Michael be with you in the baptismal tank. I think it'll take two of you. <laughs> I said, well, praise the Lord. God is gracious. But I'd like to, a scripture, Brother Jeremiah, if you don't mind. In Matthew 5 and 8, and in one of the Beatitudes. It's a, a very real and dear scripture of mine. And I believe I am standing here with such a caliber of a man as this. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. And Brother Jeremiah, you have a pure heart before God. And may he use you in the days that lay ahead. May your family be a light to this church and to those that are all around you. And may he crown you with more of his glory and grace. Would you like to say something? Sure. Okay. Um, I, uh, I was baptized when I was really young, probably around 10 or so. And uh, I raised in the message, raised in the message home, like many young ones here. And uh, from my intellect of baptism, I thought, you know, I don't want to go to hell and want to go in the rapture and... Those are pretty good reasons, but just the more I've thought about it, um, I've come up here, and my life has been changed since I've been here. And I feel I have a real birth, and God's given me the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I've just gone through my life and thought about that, and I just thought, Lord, I want to get baptized for the right reason. That's a good reason, but the right reason that you died for my sins. You are worthy. You are the worthy Lamb. And I just want to show the world that I'm a new creature and God has completely changed my life. 
And uh, also to thank Brother Ed, even though he's in his late 80s, he's still changing lives. His vision is changing my life, and I can say that. And God bless you all. Thank you. God bless you, Brother Jeremiah. Don't you stand right over here? Don't you hold your wrist real tight there? Right there. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we love your presence. We love your word, Lord. How it seeks out that one is amazing. Lord, you're the tender shepherd. You have watched over Brother Jeremiah's life. You've led him. You've guided him. And Lord, he loves you. He realizes it's not his ability but it's the ability of the great shepherd to mold and shape his life. And Father, this is a further consecration that he is, is wanting to stand and show the church of the living God. My God is real. He's not just a story, but he's a reality in my heart. Lord, let him reflect your glory and grace and may your presence lead him every step of the way. Father, we commit Jeremiah to you in Jesus' name. And Brother Jeremiah, by your desire and faith and commitment in Jesus Christ, your living Savior, I baptize you in true Christian baptism in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What will it be when we get over yonder? You know, here we sorrow, we cry, we are burning for our loved ones, we weep, we come to the altar, we weep, we go to bed, we weep. But what will it be when we get over yonder? When all the weeping is over and it's just rejoicing and then we see all our loved ones and you say it was worth it all. Every camp, every prayer meeting, every baptism, every sermon, every altar call, every prayer line, it was worth it all. Why don't we just sing this song as we get ready to go home?
Hallelujah. Looking forward, I'm looking forward to that glorious day. Oh, what will it be, saints? What will it be? Parents, think about it. All the labor and all the tears. and God sees you. Don't think that God doesn't see it. God knows the agony and the burden of your hearts. But one of these days, there's going to be a great rejoicing. And with your son and your daughter and your family, you will all crown him Lord of Lords. There won't be anybody missing there. You won't be there thinking, Lord, where is my son? He will be there with you. And together as families, we will crown him Lord of Lords. And you will be there. Your son will be there. Your daughter will be there. It's all worth it all. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm sick and tell of this world. Swing low, swing chariot. Take me home. That's my prayer. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you with all our hearts, Lord. Father, we just commit ourselves into your hands. The word has been spoken already. Nothing needs to be added or said. And the Holy Spirit, take the word, Father. And may you achieve the purpose that you had when you inspired the sermon, Lord. Lord, do what only you can do, Father. I'm trusting, Lord, there will be fruits, Father. I'm trusting there will be a harvest. I'm trusting there will be a revival of restoration and harmony and relationships and families, oh God. I'm trusting that week by week, month by month, one by one, we will be erasing names from that token board. From one by one, our children will be coming back home. One by one, Lord, they'll be dealt with, Lord. And each one of us together, Lord, as a body, Lord, parents, ministry, deacon, ushers, counselors, all of us workers are laboring together in one mind and one common accord, Lord, to find out which is lost. Lord, we're looking forward to a wonderful camp, Father. We're looking forward to a wonderful service this Sunday, Father. Continue to move. We're not waiting for winter camp, oh God. We say every service, oh God, draw us closer. Every service, do the impossible. Do only what you alone can do, Father. We rely upon you. We commit each family into your hands, each parent, Lord, each child, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Y'all dismiss. God bless you, my brother. You can play. I looked, I look over Jordan. And what do I see? <laughs>